0: Hello, 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 humans. This is Ellie Krug with Ellie, Ellie's 2.0 radio show. How are you? This is my actual third radio uh, show on Ellie 2.0. We are brand new. We barely have the wrapper off of the um, box. And we are starting out trying to figure out a little bit about perfecting this format Uh, I have two blocks to do this show. It is taped, unfortunately. It is not live, which presents some problems for me because if I want to comment and talk about uh, live events, uh, it becomes a little difficult, although today I'm going to talk about something that's happening that I think will probably stay with us for a while. Um, For those who may remember from shows one and two, I am Ellie Krug. I am... A human, like everybody else, I'm transgender. Ellie 2.0 is about, uh, in part, um, no, largely, about the fact that I am a hopeless idealist. And this show is about idealism, because we don't get to talk about that very much. We don't get to talk about what I call, I'm a practical idealist. And we don't get to talk about how idealism um, can help make things a whole lot different in our country. Um... And our right now uh, even though this show is being taped, I am fairly certain that our country by the time you hear these these words from me will still be reeling from President Trump's words about an s whole African country about s whole African countries and other horrible words about how he groups and labels um, people and so um, i want I want to comment about that because I want to comment about an African immigrant who's a hero, who actually died a hero. And in a piece, a January 12th piece by Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times, I'm a big fan of Nicholas Kristof, in a January 12th piece titled, quote, Mr. Trump, meet a hero whom you maligned, unquote. We read about a man, a 28-year-old National Guard, Army National Guardsman by the name of, Emmanuel uh, Mensah, who immigrated from the West African country of Ghana. Now, you may have heard about this on the news um, around uh, at the end of the year because um, Emmanuel um, was a hero at a fire in the Bronx, so in New York City. So over the Christmas holiday, he was back home in the Bronx in an apartment building where a fire broke out. Emmanuel easily escaped that fire, but then he went back into the burning building to save others. He did that, actually, three times. Three separate times he went back into that burning building. And in the process of doing that, he rescued four people. And then he went back another time. And let me pick up. Where Nicholas Kristof writes, quote, "Then Emmanuel dashed toward the flames again, and reached the fourth floor in a desperate effort to save a fifth person. This brave soul, from what Trump would describe as an s-hole country, the kind of person Trump was insulting, never made it out. Emmanuel's body was found high in the building's wreckage. And then Kristof goes to write this." Who better embodies our nation's values? A politician with a history of racist comments who took five deferments to escape military duty in the Vietnam War, including one for spur, heel spurs, or a heroic Ghanaian immigrant and soldier who dies in a fire while rescuing others. Think about this. We are in our country in a place, wondering what it is that we can do about the injustice that we're being exposed to nearly almost every day. One day, it's the Salvadorans who are being told that they're not worthy. Another day, it's the Haitians being told that they too aren't worthy. And then we hear the whole continent of Africa, that they are unworthy. And that instead, it'd be a whole lot better if we could get Norwegians to emigrate to the United States. You know, white Norwegians. For whiteness in America. Now you know, our civil rights leaders many of them who died in the service of their cause. They never differentiated between where anybody was from. They never differentiated how much money somebody had as they argued and fought and then died for the rights of all Americans to be treated equally. And people from other countries who are here, I mean, we are now at risk of losing our dreamers 800,000 kids we are at risk of losing all because of racism, because they're unworthy. And so what can you do as you're listening here? Here's my idealism. Here it is. What can you do? You can talk. You can do one thing. You can talk about private Emanuel Mensah. You can share that he was from Ghana. You can share that notwithstanding the fact that he was not born in this country, he went into a burning building in New York City four separate times to rescue humans. You can share that this president, the president that is president of our country, has maligned malign the people like Immanuel Mensah. And you can just share the story of his heroism with people who have no idea about it. Just simply that act of sharing in and of itself is an act of heroism on your part. Because you don't know how people are going to react to it. But do it. Because our country needs it. We have to stand up to the injustice that we're hearing daily now. We have to. We, this will not change by us just simply sitting back. It will not change by us just clicking the dial a different way. It will not change by us ignoring what's going on. Racism is the kind of thing that you just know about. When you see it or you hear it, we just do. And we will not get past it without valor and heroics. We don't have to go into burning buildings to change the landscape. We just simply need to speak up. When I come back from our break, I'll talk more. I'll go to my second block, my B-block segment, to talk about some experience that I had recently You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug with Ellen 2.0, a different kind of radio show, one that taps into the idealism that all of us have where we long for a better, more inclusive world. That's really what makes America great. I'll be back in a bit. Thank you. To AM950 and to Ellie 2.0, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug, your host for this fine program, um, a program where I am not afraid to say that I'm a practical idealist, to not not be fearful to talk about idealism and about how idealism can make a difference in our world. We have stopped using that word. We have stopped describing people as idealists. No, we've gone to much more hardened phrases about people. And frankly, with this show, yes, I know my little half-hour show here, my goal is to put idealism back on the map, to to make it a word that we talk about, to make it a concept that we can believe in, to make it something that actually has legs to it. That's right. That's what LE 2.0 is all about. So having said that, those who follow me know that I travel across the country speaking and training about human inclusivity quite a bit. I've actually also been going to Canada to do that. That is you know, my way of putting my practical, what I call practical idealism, uh to work i am by training and education a civil trial lawyer i did that for almost 30 years and um, this is my, at this point, my third, different car- my third career because between being a civil trial lawyer with more than 100 trials to my credit, I was also the executive director of a nonprofit that helped low-income people connect with lawyers. And now um, I am going around speaking about human inclusivity, the value of diversity, helping workplaces and organizations to become more welcoming to people who are other And I want to share with you an experience from a couple of weeks ago when I was in Baltimore uh, where I spoke with a group of legal professionals. There is this organization called the Association of Legal Administrators. So it's the backroom people for law firms and legal employers. So we're talking like the HR people, the IT people, the accounting people, those folks. So they have their own association. It is... I think close to like 10,000 people strong in the United States. I spoke at their national conference last year, last April, and since then I've been asked by the local chapters in individual states, and some states have multiple chapters, I've been asked to come and speak to those chapters specifically about human inclusivity. I have a talk called Gray Area Thinking. And so when I was in Baltimore, um, it was in a um, nice, tall office building. I checked into the hotel the night before. I got done from the hotel. And um, because I'm fairly neurotic, um, I got to the meeting room where I was to speak early. And when I arrived, um, there were only in the room the support and you know the setup people and uh, the servers, they didn't, and they hadn't even really started bringing out um, the coffee or anything like that. They were, they didn't even have the tables yet with tablecloths. And so I went and um, made myself comfortable. I actually, as they started to unfold tablecloths, asked if I could help. And they were like, no, no, you're all right. You just sit there. Don't worry about it. I've got to just tell you, the people in Baltimore are extremely friendly. They're very, very friendly people. And um, I, I do need to share that um, these folks in the room, the setup up people and the servers, they were women of color. And I tell you this because um, if you think about it, you know, it is often people from marginalized groups who serve majority race people. I mean, just think about it. When you go to conferences or you go to Um, meetings, professional meetings, things like that. And there's food served Uh, many times. The people are people of color. Uh, Many times they're women, sometimes they're men. Um, Usually they're all from marginalized communities. And why do I tell you that? Why do I share that with you right now? You'll see in a second. Okay. So I'm there in this meeting room as people are starting to set it up. I'm, you know. I'm there waiting, and then soon I was joined by the chapter president, the the Baltimore chapter of this organization, a woman named Ruth. Now, Ruth is in her late 40s. She is extremely warm, very friendly, very outgoing, but she's one of those no-nonsense people, extremely organized. She's got her stuff together, and um, she came very well organized. So she rolled into the room with one of those big boxes on wheels, and she took the lid off and she started to go to work about putting, you know, getting things out of the box, you know, things like pens and notepads. And I, I always have a handout. She'd had those copied and she got those out and, and I started helping her put those on tables, the, those items um, in order to get, you know, get the room ready. I mean, I don't sit around. I mean, I need to do my part. So as I was doing that, I watched as after she had pulled all those items out of the box, I watched her pull out several very cool looking jet black colored backpacks with the Maryland chapter, ALA chapter logo on them, which is a pretty cool chapter logo it's red and it's got some other things on it i would guess that those backpacks cost at least 20 25 bucks each i mean they these are very nice and she turns to me and gives me one of those backpacks she says here ellie here you go this is for you and i'm like oh thank you so nice it was very very nice of you um you know and then i watched as ruth handed out other backpacks the other backpacks to the servers and the setup staff in the room. It's very clear that she knew these people. I found out later on that her chapter has a meeting in this room, sees these people at least quarterly, and she was on a first name basis with these folks. Now, you know, these folks, the servers, the setup people, they're often invisible to us. They're often the people in the background, people who, yes, pour our water or put the plate on the table in front of us, or they bus, or they're organizing in some way, or they're cleaning up. But these people very often are invisible. And, uh, and the fact that Ruth, I mean, she's, you know, a little hectic. She's trying to get things organized. We've got other people, you know, people coming in for my talk in a little bit. And yet she had the, forth, the forethought not only to pack those backpacks, okay, But she had the forethought to understand that it was important that she hand those out to the people in the room, to the invisible people. And, you know, they were very, um, they were very appreciative. Um, They said thanks. And there was some bantering back and forth, not only about the backpacks, but about other things. I mean, Ruth was very engaging with them. And you could tell, as I said, that she was connected to them. Now, this reminded me of something that happened here in Minneapolis last year um, at my Rotary meeting. Now, I am a Rotarian. Say what you will about Rotary. I think it's actually a wonderful organization, Um, and maybe someday I'll talk more about it. But I belong to the City of Lakes Rotary Club. It has about 120 members. Uh, Yes, it's Rotary. Yes, it's heavy with white males, but not entirely. We've got a fair number of women in the club, not very many people of color. That's something that I think the club collectively is working on, in part at my urging. But the City of Lakes Rotary Club meets every Wednesday morning at 7.30 at the Minneapolis Club. Now, if you know the Minneapolis Club in downtown Minneapolis, you know it it is a social club that's that is associated with the affluent. It is a club where people with money, they belong to that. I could never I couldn't afford the dues. I mean I can go to the rotary meetings there, but I could never afford to belong there. And so I've been a member of this Rotary Club for about two and a half years. And every Wednesday, seven thirty, we have breakfast. You know, it's all set out in, in um the big um trays with the you know, the burners underneath and plates and it's just set out marvelously, you know, in a line, you know, where you go and you get the food. And then of course, all the tables have table, white tablecloths, there's coffee on the tables, there's a setting for uh, cups and saucers and all that. And every time I've gone, it has worked Marvelously, it's been wonderful. You see occasionally the servers there, but the room is always set up really before you get there. And it's always taken down after the meeting. So while you see some of the people from the Minneapolis club, you do not see many. They're invisible, just like they were in Baltimore, just like they are everywhere else. Well, last year, somebody, and this was not me, although it was after the beginning of an initiative about greater inclusivity, somebody came up with the idea of why don't we do something for these invisible people? And so at a meeting last spring, um, they had all of the setup people, the servers, and even the cooks back in the kitchen, about a dozen people come out come out of the kitchen area, and stand in front of our group. We had about 50 Rotarians, 50 people from my club. And um, and a representative of our club had in his hand um, papers. And they were certificates of appreciation for each of these people. And he handed them out to each of them. And then he had a little talk. He made a, just a very short speech about how wonderful it was that these people had supported our club for so long what a great job that they did and 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 at the end everybody applauded all of these people these rich powerful people in minneapolis i'm not one of them but i was one of the people applauding applauding the invisible people and you know i'll tell you it was a moment it was a moment that made me proud to be a, a rotarian And it was a sight to behold um, because it was something that made people feel as if they mattered. The invisible people are just like you and me. They're all around us. They want the same things out of life as you and me. They just want to be seen and to matter, and they just want some measure of dignity. Now, how does that fold into idealism? Very easily. Because we can do this. You listening to me, you can do this. And that is actually your inclusivity tip and your homework folded in all to one because you know I give you homework um, at the end of this segment. I've started doing that. I think I'll continue to do that until I get angry emails back. So here's your homework. Look around you and see who's invisible in your life. Reach out to them. Let them know that they matter to you. Consider creating a certificate of appreciation of some kind or some kind of recognition event for these people that you see in, day in or month in or week in who are invisible, who you know are there. They're the same faces. You've ne- you may have never even said hello to them. You may have never even asked their names. So do that. Get to know them. Let them know that you appreciate them. Let them know that they matter to you. Please. If you do it, let me know. You can email me at Ellie. radio at gmail.com I'd love to hear from you if you've done that I'd also love to hear from you generally and that does it for our show you've been listening to me Ellie Krug one of a few transgender one of the few transgender radio hosts in the world with Ellie 2.0 on am 950 if you like what you hear email me as I said at Ellie 2.0 radio at gmail.com and let me know what you think let me know what topics you'd like to be like to have covered let other tell others about this show Um, and please I'd love to get more listeners I really would a big thanks to my producer Eric Larson you rock Eric Um, I'll be back next week with more about idealism thank you